Welcome to podcast number 41. These podcasts all come from a series of four books I have written entitled In Defense of Christianity. Volume 1, Freedom, is now available in ebook, paperback, and audible at ronaldmesser.com or on Amazon and Audible. This podcast is entitled Put on the Whole Armor of God. John the Revelator, that great prophet, seer, and revelator, saw into what Prospero calls the dark, backward, and abysm of time. John saw what he called another wonder in heaven. John looked into the world of spirits and saw us as spirits before we even came to earth. He also saw a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. The image, of course, is a metaphor describing the great power of Lucifer. But he saw something even more horrible. He describes it this way, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. The man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, is an unmistakable image of Christ. The controlling image, however, is one of war, of the great battle between good and evil. It began in heaven. John records, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Who is Michael? Well, Michael is an archangel, the general appointed by Christ to lead the armies of heaven against Satan. The armies of Michael won the battle against Satan in the war in heaven. John records, speaking of Lucifer, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Those who overcame Satan in the war in heaven overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Those spirits who fought with Michael earned the right to come to earth and gain a physical body. Satan and his angels were forever cursed and would therefore never gain a physical body. However, the war that was waged in heaven continues on earth. The Apostle John said, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Those who do not know that the war against Satan is still raging on earth become easy targets for Satan, for they let their guard down. The same principles that were necessary to win the battle against Satan in heaven are required on earth. John tells us what they are when he said, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. In heaven we had a testimony of Jesus Christ and bore witness to those rebellious souls. A veil was placed over our minds when we came to earth, but a veil was not placed over Satan and his angels. He remembers everything, and he holds grudges. On earth he especially targets those who fought so valiantly in heaven. John says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In one of the great analogies of the Holy Bible, the Apostle Paul tells us how to prepare for that battle. Linda, would you be the reader? Please turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and read the marked passages.
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Paul knows who the enemy is. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, Paul teaches us how to prepare for battle. Notice his repetition of the word stand. Be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I want to talk about the whole armor of God. Remember in the war in heaven that they beat Satan with the word of their testimony? Nothing has changed. Notice that Paul protects the vital parts of the body, the loins, the breast, the feet, the entire body, and the head. It is interesting that his armor is all defensive. It is non-aggressive. It is not filled with desire for revenge or lust for blood or expressions of hate, anger, malice, or force of any kind. A close look at the armor shows us how to win the battle against Satan without becoming like Satan. It is a double victory. The term spiritual wickedness in high places strongly suggests that Satan uses man to carry out his evil designs. On the one hand, the enemy can very definitely be those who are seeking power over us, who want to take away our free will, freedom, liberty, and agency. On the other hand, we must recognize that they are being ruled by Satan and perhaps don't know it. The war is waged by man with guns and bombs and guided missiles. The underlying cause is Satan. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. In other words, we must remember that it is Satan that controls the actions of those who exercise spiritual wickedness in high places. Let's start with armor number one. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Truth is the first defense against Satan. Christ said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Christ does not want us to use the tactics of Satan. Even in the heat of battle, he wants us to remain free. Satan resorts to lies, distortion, dissembling, and other devices. We should rely only upon truth. What is the second piece of armor? Having on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate, of course, covers the heart and other vital organs. But Christ doesn't want us to create a heart that is hardened by hate. He wants us to remain righteous even in the presence of the enemy. The reason he commanded us to forgive our enemy 70 times 7 is so that our heart would not become hardened. We do not forgive our enemies to heal our enemies. That is between them and their God. We forgive our enemies to heal ourselves, to prevent our hearts from becoming hardened, and to prevent us from taking upon ourselves the attributes of Satan. Without personal righteousness, everything turns to hypocrisy. In addition, the heart is the seat of wisdom. We think with the mind, but we discern with the heart. All senses should be open, for our senses have both a temporal and a spiritual component. We see with our eyes and hear with our ears, but we feel with our heart. The Holy Ghost speaks to our heart as well as to our mind. The Holy Ghost cannot speak to a closed mind or to a hardened heart. The Holy Ghost can only come where he is invited. 
At all costs, God protects our agency. Sometimes people want God to act like Satan and take away our agency and suddenly make everything right. One of the greatest lessons of life is to learn the ways of God to man. God hears every prayer, but he doesn't always grant every request. A wise person invites God into his life and then allows God the freedom to work his will. It is in that conflict, that is the conflict between the natural man and the spiritual man, that God must perform his miracles. Even miracles are governed by law. Without faith, there can be no miracle, and sometimes faith is nothing more than showing seemingly infinite patience and accepting God's will when it appears contrary to our own. What is the third piece of armor? And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It seems odd that in a state of war we should have a gospel of peace. We generally want to kill, maim, or otherwise disable the enemy. God's armor is defensive, not offensive. We forget that the war we wage against Satan is won by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We sometimes forget that God hates sin but loves the sinner. Only the spiritually blind cannot see that all who fall into sin are enticed by Satan. Satan is the author of sin. We are not coerced into sin. We are enticed into sin. Satan has no power of coercion. Satan spends his time trying to turn our hearts away from the truth. He does not occupy his time trying to change our minds. He knows that if he can change our hearts, we will use our minds to rationalize our behavior. There is no action of man, good or evil, that we cannot find a rational explanation to justify. If he has only our attention, he has a flimsy hold. But if he has our hearts, then he can win our souls. There is a difference. The scriptures tell us that Satan cannot tempt us above that which we are able to withstand. In other words, we must enter sin willingly. Satan is cunning, subtle, and beguiling. And all who fall into sin are servants of Satan, whether they know it or not. If we allow Satan to control our premises, he will allow us to build our own arguments to justify those premises. In teaching us what armor to wear, God is teaching us how to fortify ourselves against the enemy without destroying another human's being chance for repentance. Satan and his angels cannot repent, for they are sons of perdition. They fight against God with their eyes wide open, willfully denying his majesty. They are incapable of repentance. But man is always capable of repentance, even till his last breath. The feet symbolize action. If our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, then we will strive for peace. We will seek solutions inspired by the Holy Scriptures. The only way we can have a preparation of the gospel is to study the scriptures regularly and deeply. The gospel is a gospel of peace, and in the gospel are solutions to life's greatest conflicts. The Savior said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Please tell us the fourth piece of armor. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield differs from the other pieces of armor in that we can bring the shield to protect any part of the body that is threatened. The fiery darts of the wicked may come from any direction, and a skilled soldier knows how to use the shield for maximum protection. It is interesting, however, that faith is compared to the shield. 
Faith can be equated with courage, for it replaces fear. Fear immobilizes us. Faith sets us free that we may concentrate on staving off the fiery darts of the adversary. Faith is also a principle of action. Everything we do, whether getting out of bed to climbing Mount Everest, is preceded by faith. But faith isn't just action in physical challenges. Faith is the principle of action in spiritual challenges. It is faith that lets us step into the dark. Faith precedes hope, or better yet, faith is the father of hope. Faith gives us courage to set high goals and overcome obstacles. First, there is faith in God. Second, there is faith in ourselves and the gifts God has given us. And third, there is faith in others or resources outside of ourselves. To be well balanced, faith must rely upon all three resources. All good things come from God. All of His children have gifts of the Spirit. And when we wisely ask others who are qualified to help us, we may also have access to those resources. Most angels are merely imperfect people, struggling as we struggle. We must all help our neighbor. I love the image of Paul to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. How many have seen a person working with iron using tongs plunge the glowing hot metal into a cauldron of cold water? The fiery darts are put out, made dull and cold and harmless. An image comes to mind. Faith takes away from the sting of insults hurled at us by our enemies who try to use fiery rhetoric to crush our courage and make us doubt ourselves. Faith gives us power over our enemies, as with the war in heaven we already know the final outcome of the war on earth. Regardless of which side we are on, ultimately Christ will win. And if we are on His side, as with the war in heaven, again we will be on the winning side. It reminds me of the words of John quoted above concerning those who overcame Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. List the fifth piece of armor. And take the helmet of salvation. Righteousness is the breastplate, and salvation is the helmet. The helmet covers the head. The heart gives us wisdom, but the head gives us knowledge intelligence, and critical thinking. It is by using our minds that we discover the mysteries of God. The Lord, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Only Christ can wash away our sins. Only Christ can purify us, sanctify us, cleanse us and make us whole, thereby giving us salvation. The choice is ours. What Joshua said to the ancient Israelites, he is saying to us today, And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have agency only because we have a choice between good and evil, God and Satan, right and wrong. We make decisions almost on a daily basis between the spiritual man and the natural man. If we combine the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, we will be better able to make wise and informed choices. Read the sixth and final piece of armor. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In mortal combat, the sword is used to kill or maim. 
But in the epic war against Satan, the sword is the word of God. The word of God does not come from Mars, the god of war. It comes from Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Savior and Redeemer of the world. How is it that John said the war in heaven was won? By the word of their testimony. The war in heaven was an ideological war. It was a war between the plan of God and the plan of Lucifer. The plan of God was to allow man to come to earth and exercise his agency. The plan of Lucifer was to come to earth and force people to be obedient to his every command. Satan's plan was to force us all to return to heaven with him receiving the glory. The plan of God was to let us choose for ourselves. It is against God's purposes to force anyone into heaven. Having lost the first battle, the purpose of Satan now is to force everyone into hell. He would if he could. However, he is prevented by God from forcing us to do anything against our will. Therefore, Satan is allowed only the ability to entice us to hell. Christ, by choice, will only entice us to heaven and never force us. He is the author of all good. Thus, we have agency. Agency is the ability to choose between good and evil. Everything is about agency. Christ died for our sins and gave us the gift of repentance so that while we are on the earth, we will always have the choice open. That is why the only sword he will use is the word of God. As in heaven, so on earth, Christ wants us to win only by the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He wants us to win by the word of our testimony. Any religion that forces people to be good is a religion of Satan. John begins his gospel with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John speaks of the man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. The rod of iron, of course, is the word of God. The final part of the armor is prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice that the armor has a specific order. First, we should gird about our loins with truth. Next, we should put on the breastplate of righteousness. Then we should shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And next, and as Paul said, above all, we should take the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Next, we take on the helmet of salvation. Then finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. All the armor is defensive. The only sword we should wield is the word of God. Linda, would you end this podcast by reading again the words of Paul as he introduces the whole armor of God? It is clear that we must be able to recognize the enemy. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity 
is available at RonaldMesser.com.